Oh, it's so bad. I like looked through some of it twice, but I really don't know. Oof, I don't know, man. It could be a relatively. What's that? It's the this is our Hobbesian episode of Drock, brutish, brutish, nasty, and short. You know. <laughs> okay, you're gonna have to use that line on the podcast. No, <laughs> fuck it. That's gonna be the cold open, Jeff. Oh no! Ah. Yes. <laughs> It is cold open. Just accept it. You're going to be the first thing anyone hears that it's going to be saying that. Uh, and the rest of the episodes are going to be like Jeff started this episode on great. <laughs> God, Jeff, you just you set the tone. You really did. You really did. We knew what to expect. Welcome to the 19th episode of Drock, which this week we're recording direct from Bill Fingerblock, for reasons that'll become incredibly apparent very, very, very quickly. Uh, I'm Graham McMillan, I'm one of the two co-hosts, and with me is the handsome, the talented, the very good at making apple butter. (laughs) Ha ha ha! Hi, it's Jeff Lester. I don't know how many of those are applicable to me, but hello. They, they all are. Otherwise, why would I say them? For the love know, of God. Because you're a sweet, sweetheart, Graham. You're a sweetheart. Let's face it. And We're you like ju- apple butter. That's true. That's true. What else? Jeff is... Uh, that wasn't a joke. Jeff is actually really good at making apple butter. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. We are doing uh, Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 17, this episode. And Batman, Judge Dredd, Judgment on Gotham. Mm-hmm. We're doing them slightly out of order. Technically, Case Files 17... Is from 2008 volume uh, issues 776 through 803, plus magazine volume 2, 1 through 11, which were published in 1992. Batman Judge Dredd was published at the very end of 1991, but we're going to leave that to the end, basically because otherwise there is no point for us to go on. (laughs) (laughs) Because Case Files volume 17, almost entirely written by Garth Ennis, half of which is made up of a crossover between 2008 and the magazine called Judgment Day is, shall we say, not very good. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just going to, I'm going to lay it out there right now, listeners. It's not very good. Oh. And we have been guilty of complaining about Garth Ennis's Judge Tread. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I'm just, it's, it's, it's so not good that Judgment Day, which is a complete mess of an epic. Mm-hmm. I mean, a staggering mess of an epic. It's still not the worst things in Case Files 17. Oh, There's yeah. still at least one thing so much worse <laughs> that it's it's appalling. And Jeff, I want to start on a strange tangent for a second. Please. Reading this, it's published in 92. I, by the time I got to what for me is is you know, significantly the worst story in the book, which is the um, uh, A Magic Place, the entirely unnecessary sequel Yeah, to the story about the kid who finds a garden in Mega City 1 from like a, a, a special years ago. Um, I, I'm reading that and it's it's so bad. Mm-hmm. It's, it's shockingly, I mean, terrifyingly bad on almost every single level. And I thought to myself, this is 1992. Garth Ennis was writing Hellblazer by this point. Not only was Garth Ennis writing Hellblazer, Garth Ennis was a few years into his Hellblazer run. Really? Because 
because he was think about it. like didn't vertigo launch in 91 i thought it was early later oh, earlier maybe, maybe vertigo was 93 actually now that I'm oh thinking about really it. is it gosh uh but he started on Hellblazer. It's issue forty-one. Let's see the publication date for Hellblazer forty-one, nineteen ninety-one. So yeah, he started Hellblazer the year before this. Oh my god, that is horrifying because yeah, because Hellblazer is, and I say this as someone who doesn't really like Garth Ennis. Hellblazer is like sure early Ennis, but it is miles away in quality from these comics. Oh, completely and profoundly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like. One of the things that that I found fascinating, both, um, I guess, encouraging as a one of the few things to kind of keep me going was a little bit of the, well, at least, at least Garth Ennis gets better. You know, the idea that he actually was already better elsewhere, yes, like elsewhere. Yeah. is really a horrible sign. A because horrible sign. there's so much... I mean, genuinely poorly written nonsense in this comic. Mm-hmm. That the idea that like he is writing this at the same time as he is writing Hellblazer mm-hmm. really makes you think either A, he is utterly overwhelmed by his own fanboy nature for Dread, which I think you can point to Judgment Day as proof of. Oh, Or I... yeah, he, he's basically like uh, fucking around on Dread. You know, I, it, it what I think is is really interesting because part of me was kind of uh, uh, so you've got Judgment Day. It is an eighteen part mega prog um, that is Judgment Day is twenty parts. Oh, uh, Jesus, really? Yeah. Okay. It's twenty episodes between. 2003 in the magazine. Okay, yeah. so sorry. Sorry, I thought 18. It's actually 20 parts. It's a 20-part Megaprog that is, um, I think, a failure on every level. And it is followed up with a three-part, I'm absolutely 100% certain, Wagner story about Judge Dredd being a um, debt collector in... Yes. It, that that is that's the only Wagner story in the entire thing. Yeah. Texas City thing is the only Wagner story in the entire thing. That's interesting because I would like to talk about one of the stories that's a mega that's I thought was Ennis, but I didn't see credits because it was the, uh, the it looked like it was a magazine stuff. Escara and the whole taking of block one two three is, or whatever. Is Ennis. Okay, because that is I, I kept looking at it being like, okay, this is not good so it can't be wagner but it's not shit so it can't be ennis is it grant and then there was like there was no grant yeah Mm -hmm. i'm gonna argue with you in that it is shit no it is it absolutely is it absolutely is it's just a slightly higher to me to my mind it's a slightly higher grade of shit than all the rest of the Ennis stuff in here, I would say. I would argue, I'd be arguing wrong, but at you, least you, there's you something actually, a You actually here. would. And I have a theory about this. And uh-huh. it's a theory I want to run past you because I think it's important before we dive into, you know, how bad Ennis is. Okay. Is Scara gives Ennis a sheen that he doesn't deserve here. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Like, what? there are parts of Judgment Day where you're like, that's not that bad. And it's 100% because Scara is making it work. And it is terribly bad my notes for that final story the one two three story mm-hmm. is genuinely there's actually no story here 
Well, th- because there isn't. No, and that is that is something that um, I kind of, to the extent that that we're going to have a drock, I think that is going to be longer than twenty seven minutes in a way. I thought that part of the why and what would be looking at what. Why things work and why things don't. Because, again, it's a stark contrast to watch a (laughs) 20-part story that doesn't work where I'm looking at it and I'm kind of like, because I I think, I think, uh, I'm really, in a way, I'm glad that this is the sort of stuff that I have to deal with um, 17, you know, volumes or Roughly yeah, nineteen yeah, episodes yeah. Like, in. This wasn't your. This wasn't your introduction. Yes. Me. Then I'd be like, I'm out. But but I think also even like um, e- even in the first year of Drock, I spent a certain amount of time being like, okay, this is. There was stuff when Wagner and Grant were doing really dis- more or less disposable work, but mm-hmm. it was it was high quality and it was entertaining yes, yeah. and. And so there's a, to me, there's a lot of, conf- there's, um, dread, what makes a good dread story? Like at least, you know, for the first 12 volumes was kind of like a Zen Cohen to me. Like mm-hmm. I knew the ones that I liked and I knew the ones that seemed to work, but I couldn't figure out or start to grasp why. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> one of the things that I thought was interesting about, Volume 17, and the only thing in a way that makes it interesting is looking at it and also um, <coughs> looking at Wagner and then looking at uh, Judgment in Gotham, uh, the, yeah. the first Batman Dread special, which is Wagner Grant. You've got like a real, you've got, I guess, a sample of Dread at his not so great as much as yeah. i love wagner's three-parter no, no, no. yeah you know what i'm yeah. saying what's really interesting is and i'm i swear i'm going to come back to what you're saying but i'm going back to what i was saying first <laughs> well, no, 17 Fair is enough. really is really a book where you realize the importance of the artist iscara gives ennis credibility that he doesn't deserve and honestly texas city sting would be a much better story if a much better artist was drawing it yes yeah that's true texas city sting is actually it's a solidly written story Mm -hmm. the jokes land but the art is completely wrong for it yeah the art completely deadens the jokes deadens wagner's sense of style Mm -hmm. um and so you you see the, the two extremes. You see Iskera, the artist, elevate material, and you see Jan Shimini, uh, you know, bring material down yeah. when it's not correct. But also, and this is this is no, this is not intended to be a, 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 a damning indictment on the artist here, but for the most part, Case File 17 is full of bad artwork. Yeah, very you know? bad artwork. Like, yeah. Greg Staples in the first strip is is doing like clunky as shit painted work that that has no dynamism, but also his his choreography is terrible. Mm-hmm. Ormston on Judgment Day is has a surface sheen, but again, his basics are are a fucking mess. Mm-hmm. You know, Simon Colby can do reasonable material. Mm-hmm. He's I mean, these days I think Colby's really good, but like in this era 
Colby's is doing like all right work. Mm-hmm. He can kind of do the basics, but like his his he basically draws the same face over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and you you just see a lot of artwork that doesn't really work to the point where the story that immediately fo- follows Judgment Day, the Marshal, mm-hmm. uh, oh right, has, has Sean Phillips in there doing. I mean, very. It's Sean Phillips doing painted artwork from the early '90s. Like it's it's you know people who have read, for example, Kid Eternity, mm-hmm. know know what Sean Phillips is doing here, mm. right? But it's functional and it has atmosphere, right? And again, it makes that story seem better than it actually is. Absolutely, there's nothing to the Marshall. Right. Like the Marshall has has no conflict, and this is a problem of Ennis's throughout the book. Has no conflict beyond the surface conflict, right? And almost everything is resolved by punching something or shooting something and declaring how tough Dread is. Right. And that's it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but because Phillips is capable, mm-hmm. because Phillips is competent, mm-hmm. you are like, oh, you know, it's not as bad as the other stories. Like Ian Gibson does yeah. a story early on in the book. Yes. And again, Writing-wise, it's not good, but it feels better yes. because you don't feel like you're fighting subpar artwork to actually read it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I think the same is true kind of of Judgment in Gotham, mm-hmm. where it's Bisley's book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Like, Wagner and Grant, bless them, are doing the lightest fucking story. It's an issue of Brave and the Bold. Right. That's a great but comparison. It's, but it's Bisley's book. Yeah. Well, Uh, one of the things that seems super smart, too, is also um, how much it is clearly designed to be Bisley's book, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, it it 100% plays to Bisley Mm -hmm. through, like, the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, to to completely get off the rails for a second, Judgment in Gotham, reading it the same, I was like, oh, this is not Judge Dredd's story at all. Like, Judge Dredd is barely in it. Mm-hmm. Like Anderson's in it more than Judge Dredd is. Yes, um, but also neither Dredd nor Batman are are on model. Right. It, it, both of them are basically the caricatures of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, and to be fair, like Judge Death as the villain is kind of a caricature of himself as well. Right. But it gets away with it as much as it gets away with it because Bisley is just like I'm drawing the shit out of this. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I uh right. I think I think art is important, but I also want to say that one of the things uh to me is um as you point out there is the thing that is surprising to to me about Ennis's work in this and especially in Judgment Day is where it it really kicks in at a sustained level. Um, is how little Ennis seems interested in, um, well, he, the, it's a, it, the, the problem is a craft issue. Wagner and Grant in Judgment and Gotham, as you point out, Batman and Dread are both off model, but one of the things is, is it's, it's a it's a sixty page story, so it's shorter by far than the twenty part Judgment Day, you know, oh, which, which is one hundred and fifty pages long. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, but you have you've got Dread, you've got Batman, you've got Anderson, you have Judge Death, 
you have the Scarecrow, and you have Mean Machine. You have six characters in 60 pages, and every one of them wants something different. Like, sure. it's like screenwriting 101, and part of what makes it pop is how each of those characters interacting with the way their needs and their wants come together in unexpected ways, cross swords in unexpected ways, not and not in an not in any sort of extremely surprising way, but in enough ways to just keep things popping. To me, one of the things that's shocking is to watch a 20 part dread versus zombies Romero-esque epic that should be so in my wheelhouse that was really unbelievably dull. And then following that up with a three-part uh, story with really not very good art or not not appropriate art um, that is all but Judge Dredd doing Smokey and the Bandit. And yet it's so... It worked. Part of what works about it is in that dread story again. Dread has a very specific need. There is the judge of Tech City who hates dread and has his own need to block it. And then part of what's great is you take characters who are doing more or less color commentary. The Texas City judges who are start off being amused by dreads. Uh, way of getting around the law and and there you get it it's like oh here's a situation where judge dread has how do, how does judge dread break the law and it's like he can't but he knows the law well enough that he knows how to work around it which is which is an which is an okay hook but isn't outside of the realm of anything that ennis might have thought of but the execution is entirely to me about seeing how other characters have other needs and that those needs literally will change or modify as the story goes on. One of the things that is such a horrific um, punch to the throat reading that three-part secret garden shit, I mean, apart from real... Oh, A Magic Place... I guess it's only two parts. It no, is, it's, it's three. It is three. Okay, sorry. Yeah. They, they misnumbered it. Also, there's that weird thing where it looked like it... Yeah, it starts out starts out with Dylan and then it... Yeah, and, and then Colby does the next couple of episodes. And it's a shame because Colby suffers like shit. Oh, yeah. Dylan. Right. I mean, honestly, when that first part hits with Dylan and Ennis, like you said, that's the, art, the artist's sheen of like, oh, this might... This might work like it may be in part because at that point, Dylan's acting manages to give the all of the milk sops populating the story something that makes you there, there, react. There's to some them. life. Yeah, there's exactly. some life there. Yeah. You know, and some humor. Mm-hmm. And Kobe just can't do that. And so Ennis ends up for whether it's because of indifference or fanboyishness or a variety of other reasons uh he ends up crafting dread stories 
that are a little bit like every every once in a while you'll have you would have Wagner and Grant engage in uh, basically a Looney Tunes Judge Dredd strip where everybody wants one thing they never change they never deviate and things fall apart in almost a hilarious fashion and what's shocking is is that at the end of the day nobody has changed or learned anything and that's like a satirical thing that describes Ennis all of the characters in a magic place all of the characters in judgment day all of the characters in every story ever where nobody does anything different it's it's and it's just writing the 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 comic book equivalent of a kid who's got two cars and just crashes them into mm-hmm. each other with his hands yeah. making vroom vroom noises like for hundreds of pages that ago it, and, it's genuinely shocking how again he's doing hellblazer at the set, same time as this and hellblazer has such such a superior grasp on what actually makes a good story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and, he, and like his dread is entirely devoid of this. Right. Like it, it's honestly difficult to overstate how bad Judgment Day is on a rating level. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's it's, it's also pretty bad on a visual level. The, yes. the non scary episodes are 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 hard work for for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Peter Doherty, for example, has has a style mm-hmm. like it's it's not that it's it's bad work per se but it doesn't have the movement or, or to be honest like the speed mm-hmm. that that the story needs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's doing what looks like watercolors or, or pastels or something mm-hmm. and it it feels too soft for want of a better way of putting it yeah uh and and too labored mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for for the zombie story mm-hmm. uh armston has a surface sheen, like I said, but his, like his his basics, are a fucking mess. Mm-hmm. Like are are really 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 bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Hall's the Chris Hall's one part, uh, is such a hilariously perfect Bisley riff that it's kind of shocking. Do you want to talk about uh Chris Hall's uh for those people yeah. who don't? So, know? Yeah. Chris Hall's is not his real name. His real name is Chris Cunningham. And he is a, a filmmaker that that many people know for one of two reasons. One, he was involved in the Stallone Dread movie mm-hmm. and designed Mean Machine and the Hammerhead robot mm-hmm. for that, which is why perhaps they are 100% on model for the, from the comic. Mm-hmm. Thing number two, he's also the guy who made the Come to Daddy video for Apex Twin. That's right. Which is, I think, the thing that everyone does know him for. Right. You know, it's funny. I do remember, because there was a couple um, uncredited ones. And looking at this, I was like, oh, I bet this is I is it. Because honestly, there's parts of there's parts of his, his chapter that, like you said, are very busily. But also, I, I would say in some cases better than some of the busily that I've seen just in terms of, um, you know, there's parts where Bisley uh, more or less kind of throws on the flash to cover up the 
not putting in the hard work. There's the stuff sure. where where he's excited, where Bisley excited and on fire is fabulous, and Bisley yes. other stuff where he's he's filling like he's yeah. eating deadline. Wait, and I think it's fair to say that uh, Judgment and Gotham has both of those. Yes, absolutely, and <laughs> very that's very it. much so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I mean, I just I I think Bisley's great. I don't have a very strong sense of him per se, but my my feeling on him is always been that he is. He's very flashy, um, and to to my eye, not especially disciplined. And I do think that that Chris Hall chapter really does the. Um, he does a lot more justice. Like it's very common because, of course, part of me is also like as as good as Bisley is. I also have that. Yeah, you know, I was. <laughs> I was reading Bill Sienkiewicz's New Mutants and Electra Assassin like in the shops. So, I mean, sure, sure, but but again, like that's not what Bisley's doing. Bisley is like Frazetta. Bisley, Bisley, is like you know smoked a lot of Frazetta. Well, no, 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 no. He has smoked a lot of Frazetta, but what he does, and this is usually his cheat, is um, he he riffs or lifts. I think from Sienkiewicz. Sienkiewicz will change. From painting to very simple line work for places sure. for yeah. a, yeah. emotional effect, right? Mm-hmm. And if, yeah, yeah. When, when you see Chris Hall do it here, one of the things that is nice is he does not skimp on the on the quality of his line work. So, in other words, he makes it look like he is changing media rather than kind of being like okay well i spent six hours on you know three quarters of this page and i really got to finish this son of a bitch up so scribbly shock you know there's stuff in judgment and gotham where mega city one let's just say is not a priority for delineation oh oh, oh, yeah yeah no mega city one is very off topic in in that book in general but Jeff, yes. we're getting off the subject of how bad Judgment Day is. Yes, Judgment Day is awful. And like you said, the artist, Ezkara, is a great point in terms of he is able to put the feeling of speed. And, and the speed is really a sense of urgency. And I think one of the things that is also stunning about Judgment Day is how static and flaccid it is like you end up with by the end of part one there's tons of zombies right and it, oh, it's 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 ridiculous mm-hmm. and it like it, it, ennis ennis's sense of scale is so massively fucked on yeah. this story yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well and, and i think that is is what it a problem with the throughout it is, is again, as a fan, Ennis knows what should be in a mega prog, but I mean, it's, well, that's, that's, that's actually one of my thoughts about this. mm -hmm. I think Ennis 100% knows what's supposed to be in there. And that's what gets in his way. Because, First of all, it's everyone out in a hot dog run and they're surrounded by zombies. Right. Then within an episode, it's one million zombies. Yes. Then like two episodes later, it's 60 million zombies. That's right. Right. 
And then at one point, it's retreading the Apocalypse War, but instead of nuking one city, it's nuking five. That's right. Including, like, fucking Mega City 2. Yes. Which is never followed up on. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know, it's, I mean, it's amazing. He gets, he literally destroys Mega City 2, which apparently gets overrun by zombies off-panel. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's he's clearly like, you know, oh, this has to count. This has to mean something. Right. You know, I'm just going to up the ante. I'm going to up the ante repeated. Like, like let's, at one point, 60 million zombies mm-hmm. who are trying to come into Mega City 1, and at that point, have just been dealt with by guns, and when the guns fail, bigger guns, which is literally a plot point in the story. Right. Um, they're like, okay, we're going to set the wall separating us from the Cursed Earth on fire. Yeah. And when I describe it, when I even say it's Dread versus Zombies, there's part of you is like, that could be a good story. Mm-hmm. But the execution is so flat. Mm-hmm. Like, they set, they set the wall on fire. And instead of actually dealing with that, mm-hmm. like, we're in a city that is now literally surrounded by a flaming napalm wall. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, and that's the break everyone needs so they can fucking fly to Sinosit. Right. Right. No. And it's like, what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, you know, I do have to say uh, that may or may not count in his favor. Graham, this is something that would you, I, you would not track. But I will, to an extent, give Ennis a certain amount of credit in that it sure looks like the guys who did the last season of Game of Thrones were at least semi-passingly familiar with this because um, the final season of Game of Thrones, which, you know, is essentially a buildup between the war between the living and the dead, ends up with, you know, all of our main characters in a castle under siege by million, you know, under attack by millions of the undead and walls are set on fire. Basically lots of like, how much time do we have? Lots of zombies just running right through the flames and falling apart. It's very, it's a, it's a little reminiscent, which is kind of like, I had that moment of like, is there some other, source that both of these things are riffing from but I mean honestly the stuff in Game of Thrones is it is kind of the nadir of the series in some ways because it is absolutely 100% uh, well it turning it into a thing about Game of Thrones to to roll it back to uh, Judgment Day One of the things that I think is hard is that zombie stories always seem like they are will will be awesome when they're done big. But zombie stories tend to work best when they are, in fact, smaller. Oh, sure. And and, and Judgment Day is a perfect illustration of that. Yeah. Because there's nothing interesting about the zombies right the zombies literally exist to get shot that's and right. are never really a threat that's right they that's don't right. they don't do anything even the idea that there's 60 million of them right beyond providing a cliffhanger for an episode is meaningless right because the zombies don't do anything they right. get shot and that's it yes you know and they're like well now we've got a nuka city because it's been taken over by zombies 
okay, but you didn't show us that. Right. You know, it's it's all it's all telling and not showing. Yes. And so the zombies are utterly toothless. Yeah. One of the things that is super rough is that there's the problems that Ennis has by just throwing numbers out in an attempt to to and this is this is actually what I was trying to say is is I feel like the, what is amazing about Judgment Day is it it is if is if you had someone who had spent their entire life eating cakes right and then you let them make a cake but they had never learned how to cook you know like they're sort of like oh uh there's chocolate in there and you know there's no sense of an understanding of how to portion these things out i think if we, you look at Every mega epic that Wagner and Grant and God help me all the way going back to Mills, there is there's a sense of conflict. And honestly, I would also say what in, happens that is hugely helpful in most of the mega progs is there is the deviation. You know, there's the part where it's like the cursed earth. They're rolling across the cursed earth. And then, you know, Mills is like, oh, yeah, did I did I mention that the president is a vampire? You know, and just that sort of like, OK, I I know I've got this premise. I've got this initial conflict. I mean, it's super early in Mills's and Dredd's existence and arguably in, you know, the history of British serialized sequential hero comics in a way. But there's kind of like, okay, there's him, there's Chopper, they don't like each other, that's going to come to a head. You know what I mean? Like, even that has it a little bit, and he's like, oh, and then I get bored. At a certain point, what ends up happening, the 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 parts in The Day the Law Died, where Judge Cal more or less hijacks the narrative, ends up bringing a lot of um, heat to the story like you when you have the amazing sequence in uh necropolis where suddenly you've got um cadet giant and the other cadets on the run and suddenly you're right back in sort of a boy's adventure book which is this huge split from everything that's been coming before but makes sense because it allows the change up in time to reintroduce characters that you're invested in, put things that are at stake. So you, Graham, are, and probably most of the listeners of this podcast, have read, know, and have fondness for Stronium Dog. I've never encountered that character before I, I say that but that's not entirely true but for all intents and purposes because there was stuff that i read when i had my 2000 ad subscription that i was like i have no idea who this character is i have no sense who that the, the character is and i am fascinated by how i read all of judgment day and had no idea of like johnny alpha was a bounty is a bounty hunter from the future who is a mutant that is oh and he and dread had pet crossed paths and don't like each other i'm like congratulations 
that is there's no sense about what's important to him apart like he's kind of like there's a few points where i'm like i'm doing it to get paid and i'm like dude you're literally looking at a planet that is apparently on the age you know on the on the edge of falling does that fuck up your future does it have a thing like i honestly don't know any literally anything about that character and what they want apart from someone paid me a bounty now I'm going to go get my man. And it's important that Dread respect me, maybe, kind of. But I'm like, like, I know nothing about that character. Every one of these characters throughout here, if you were picking up Judgment Day, um, it's it's like everyone are ciphers. There's nobody to care about. Even if you sort of are like, oh, hey, it's... Um, they follow up the death of uh, Judge Perrier, who has been, you know, sort of Ennis has been building up as the the latest of, of I was going to say Doctor Who's companions, but essentially Dredd's, you know, um, female assistant judge, you know. Doctor Who companions is not entirely off. Mm-hmm. Perry basically has been in the background of a couple of series by that point. Right. Basically being like, oh, Dredd's. Yes, right? So... And then they kill off another female judge. Which one is it? The one in between that's not Decker. Hershey? Right, Decker, who I sort of vaguely remembered. And... So Decker was in one of the Wagner stories where she is like the best cadet he's had. Yes, in one of the hot dog run stories or something, yeah. right? I, yeah. don't, I don't think it's a hot dog run. No? I think it's, I think it's, just, I think it's just a uh, straight up, he's doing the last examination. Thing. Right, right. I do remember that. Right. So it was kind of like, oh, I sort of maybe, but I mean, that's kind of it. It's just, it, 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 <sighs> Judgment Day is a comic book epic that has all the excitement of looking at a spreadsheet. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's a column full of names and fan service shout outs that, that I knew or recognized that if you don't know or recognize literally are nothing other than names on a list spreadsheet. And then you have the villains, which just like on a spreadsheet are just a series of very large numbers. You know, they are, they are liter- literally, uh, an advancing number of zeros, you know, and it, 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 is, it is genuinely impressive how, again, Ennis does know better, even by this point, mm-hmm. but how every attempt to try and make this seem like an event mm-hmm. either reads like a cliche or has literally no grounding to it. Mm-hmm. You know, there the idea, like, for example, what does Sabat actually want? Yes, Sabat is the other thing that I was going like to the, mention. The villain of the piece. Yes. What does he want? Right. Because it makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At one point, he talks about how he wants to take over the galaxy, but why? Right. You know, and and even if you even if you buy into the idea that I think Ennis wants to, which is like he's just bad for the sake of being bad. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if you overlook. Where does he get his power from? Yeah. Because you get two, like, quasi-backstory episodes. Mm-hmm. There's all these things that are unexplained about him that are, you know, for any of this story to mean anything, it would have been great to have known. Mm-hmm. 
You know, he comes back in time after surviving the destruction of a planet for question mark. Yeah. His purpose is to question mark. Right. Because he wants to take over the galaxy for question mark. Mm -hmm. For that matter, his powers are question mark. Yes. No. You know? Right. And and his abilities are. And at one point towards the end, he, he survives being beheaded. Because his head then grows tentacles, but then he gets beheaded again, and that's apparently okay. Yes, right. And you're just like, what? No, the Sabat is is amazing in that he is also a terrible villain, the likes of which we really have never, to in my mind, we've we've never seen a dread before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, he is this character who is... You even see, at least you see a sort of setup of... He's this evil necromancer, and the cloak that he wears is made of essentially tanned faces that can talk, that his enemies have been turned into a cloak and hate him. And rather than having that be like a weird fucking in to um you know in a way it makes sense because most most big villains need somebody to explain what the fuck they're doing things to and you've seen in past um mega progs how the villains sh- like how that how Wagner and Wagner and Grant set that up and how they use that, turn that into part of the mechanism that turns the story. It's not just, uh, here's someone that the villain can exposit to, but here's someone who can get so creeped out that they can turn tail. Or here's someone that can realize that they're doing the wrong thing and try to turn the tail, but it's too late and they die and they're fucked. Or yeah, any yeah. number of things... Uh, you know where where they hate the villain and the villain's like wait you you hate me like an insight to actually show who the character is but the character is at at every level again sabat for 20 parts like you said what he wants and ha- is unbelievably vague but it doesn't change at any point the closest thing that is even a slight kernel to um i guess a a, something that could be unique to him and it's just sort of thrown in there and then thrown out is is at one point he shows up uh at the at the conference of of all all the judges, the resistance force, and is like, hey, okay, I've got a deal and you're going to like it. You're not going to love it, but you're going to like it. He's like, kill yourselves now and then I can just use you as my army and then you're set. Um, Yeah. And everyone's like, no, fuck you. And he goes away and the cloak's like, did you really think they were going to do it? He's like, look, it would save me so much work. And the idea that there's a villain that is essentially so lazy that he is doing something like you could kind of go somewhere with a villain who is so all powerful, but basically has no interest in paying attention to detail that his 
his sweeping master plan to conquer the universe only works if he goes back in time where where he's essentially fighting caveman and even then it's full of holes because he's just he can't be bothered there's something there that has nothing nothing you don't see an inch of that in the rest of the story i'm actually stunned also one of the things that is amazing for for a zombie epic that talks about romero and also literally is the idea that it's all the living people versus all of the dead people and you know the smugness from spot of like i'm just gonna win because there's the dead outnumber the living and every person that i kill joins me like a classic zombie movie staple is the person that gets killed who comes your closest enemy comes back as a horrible enemy and you have to kill them that's not in here i don't yeah, not only that there's no return from any other dead character yes in right like you're writing a dread zombie story and you talk about how everyone is coming back and you can't bring back like anyone cow rico why can't you bring back yes. his brother why can't like, yes moldering corpses like even the ones that die like when you see perrier get you know, just hammered or Decker just get torn, you know, disappear under the zombie swarm. The whole point is going to be like, okay, here comes the part where Dread basically gets set on by both of them and has that moment of being like aghast. And is he going to lose his composure or is he going to calmly rip their own heads off and it's only going to make him more pissed? Like just a classic moment. And it's like, Nah, I, I can't. We can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. Sort of the same way that so many of the artists can't be asked to draw more than five dead people at a time. And we're supposed to believe that it's 50 million or 600 million or 9,000 million. It's like, then why are there only yeah. four people in a screen? Like, and sometimes yes, just and one. talking about how three billion are dead. Yes. And it's like, when? When did that happen? We've seen like three people die in this thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The closest you can get is at least when Ascara comes in and um, all of his years of doing war comics allow him to convey absolutely everything without even breaking up a sweat. But but by that point, it only raises to the level of uh, passably readable because there's because he's not he doesn't. He's not holding down anything. The stakes of everything here. I'm really shocked how much, how how terrible it is. Like the idea that, like you said, Ennis is doing better work elsewhere. Uh, simultaneously is, elsewhere. Like, simultaneously, yeah. Not just, not just slightly better. Right. Like Hellblazer is considerably better. Yes. Like yeah. shockingly better compared with how... Uh, but what it really is is... This is just so bad. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that Hellblazer is the greatest comic ever. It's that Hellblazer is a good comic, and this is terrible. Well, actually, one of the things that actually kind of creeps me out is the idea of, like, if I started looking at it, if, if Ennis wrote some of my favorite Hellblazer stories while he was writing this, like, it kind of like just blows my mind in the worst way the putting like i said putting that aside if you i would argue that ennis 
has gotten worse with each volume that we've read from him. And he didn't start I, great, you know. Would you say that? I'm really, really curious about that. Uh, because part of it is, like, Case File 17 is a is bad. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah. This is, you know, spoilers, everyone, it's dross. One, like, almost 100%. And intended to say, like, you know, realistically, 95%. Even yeah. the one Wagner story is good has art that utterly kills it. Yep. Um, but is this is his writing here demonstrably worse than his writing in the previous volume? I and if you think so, why do you think so? Because I'm not sure that it is. I think it's just. I think it's as bad. I think what's happening is he's not improving. Well, it could be. It could be. One thing that I thought was to me interesting is by the that final piece that. Uh, really pretty much does suck the 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 block (laughs) one two three is there are moving pieces there's also um a certain amount of terseness to the storytelling that the rest of the volume has not had like ennis has had a lot of overwriting in this volume Probably in part because he doesn't really believe a lot of it. Like that, that the magic place, the secret garden follow-up is just, it's overwritten and it's, and it's, and shittily so. And I sort (laughs) of. You say say that, but uh, have you ever read Troubled Sorrels? Like uh, the first, no. the first Ennis Mm-mm. thing. Mm-mm. It's very much of a piece of Troubled Souls. Mm. And Troubled Souls was like acclaimed, and I remember liking Troubled Souls a lot. Well, um, right, but it's 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 Ennis's, and and also like I think it contains elements of like Ennis's quote unquote romantic element mm-hmm. that that does show up repeatedly in his later work. Yes, I think Ennis has, uh, a, you know, a. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this properly. Like an, an exceptionally sentimental side, a saccharine side. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the problem with the magic place is it's basically the entire saccharine side, but then he clumsily is like, but the villain has a blender. <laughs> you know? And it's like, you know, and he's like, those two things together make a dread strip. And it's like, they fucking don't though. They really don't. Right. But, but the, the, the saccharineness feels like incredibly Ennis to me. Well, I guess what I what I mean is the sacredness is Ennis. To me, what I think is interesting because I haven't read Trouble Souls, but going forward, Ennis does he he learns to that that to make saccharin work. You've got to underwrite, not overwrite. So he's his later stuff. When you see saccharin moments in preacher or hitman or his later you know his dc stuff how it works is he's he's he learned to get more terse with it and in some cases you know at that point he's got access to a better range of artists that could sell it and so What's interesting is is the first part of a magic place where you've got him and you've got Dylan. It's kind of like, oh, I've you know, you just see those first couple of pages, and it's and and for me, there's there's it's like um it's like feeling a warm fire 
start to burn and then just be like doused out, like snuffed out without any oxygen, like two pages later, because I have been trained like Ennis and Dylan and things are sweet. That means there's something horrible on the horizon and people are going to be tested and someone's going to be dead at the end and someone's going to mourn them. Like that is, that is. I mean, that, that's basically everything you get here, except you don't get the mourning part. Uh, well, you well, get, kind of get the mourning yeah, part. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, you can turn around and you really can put that on a, a, uh, uh, on that template gets returned to in Ennis with, you know, like I said, generally better artists and it's done better. So watching it just go so horribly off the rails here is like really uh, very painful. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Part of me is like, I, I think you probably have nailed me, caught me talking out my ass. Like i would have to sit down honestly and look at volumes 15 and 16 and see if there's anything that I, where I honestly do think that Ennis's stuff was was better but you're right it's probably just kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt of like okay he's just this is so early in his career it's daunting he's learning he's taking things over i you know i mean there's stuff that is like Twilight's last gleaming is fucking hideous in terms of what it means and what he's trying to do. But I would say that it is better composed than anything that we're looking at by him in uh, volume 17. Would do you? I'm not. No, I, I would actually argue about that. I would say I'm going to literally use things from early on in the book perhaps cementing your idea that he does get worse but for all that babes in arm is arms is terrible mm -hmm. and it is and it's misogynistic as shit and it's a fucking horrible story the structure of it seems as coherent and well structured as twilight's last gleaming the dread uh a religious figure story that follows that i yeah. can't remember the name almighty of. dread uh, Almighty Dread, right. again, is as solidly built as Twilight's Last Gleaming mm -hmm. um, and is, quote-unquote, as good. But, you know, when you when you do get to the, the taking of Block 1, 2, 3 at the end, mm -hmm. like, that's that's just, that is a, a that's a mess. Mm -hmm. that, that is a lot of, of gimmicks without a story. Right. Um, and... and and has a has a villain who again doesn't have an agenda. Mm -hmm. Like the villain is a gimmick. He talks British, and he wants to blow up blocks because question mark. And then you know he doesn't get to do that, and his inexplicably kiss parodying like sidekick bodyguards yes. get captured again. It's 1992. Why are we getting kiss jokes? I know. What the living shit? What? Um, oh, so two things, by the way, and I like totally Sandman joke. Well, it is. They're they're supposed yeah, to be. No, I, yeah, there's that. I, I wondered about that, but they look like kiss. No, no, agreed. Which, oh, is, that, which part is, of that might yeah. be a scary frame. I think so. Joke. I think so as well. Which, honestly, as misguided as it is, is one of the few things that kind of give it a little bit of charm in a way. Like, yeah, you're like right. Huh? But, but again, yeah. like, what does Jimmy the Brit want? Well, what is he actually doing? 
And also, like, he basically gets... Like, he goes down too easy, for one of a better way. Oh, completely. Like, like, completely. like the story yeah. just stops. Yep, yep. It's yep. like, well, stops him. But it, actually, that that story and Babes in Arms, like, the first and last story of this volume, also underscore one of the problems with Judgment Day, which is Ennis doesn't know how to keep the body count down. Mm-hmm. Babes in Arms is uh, ex-wives are out for revenge story. Mm-hmm. But he ends the first episode by having them... Just like blow up five blocks, five uh, uh, floors of a, a city block. Right. Which is just, it's nuts. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's far too big. Right. You know, especially because again, it's never mentioned the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Like it's literally gratuitous. Yeah. 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 Um, it doesn't serve the story in any way whatsoever. And the same is true of the Jimmy the Brit story. Right. Like he, again, blows up a city block. He nukes a city block. Right. But, but again, it serves no purpose. Okay, I just got to jump in. Because on the one hand, in the larger scheme of things, you are correct. And maybe you're overlooking something or maybe I'm attributing too much to it. But the idea is that Jimmy the Brit is having his building, his block, uh, secede from Mega City 1. The bombing of the other buildings surrounding his building is that the fallen rubble will essentially create a wall surrounding him the way that mega city one has a wall surrounding it and will essentially allow them to, to uh, repel um, the judges and intruders and etc. The The thing we are quote unquote missing or not missing mm-hmm. is that like that seems gratuitous. Oh. Like that feels as, that feels as much of a, like it doesn't really serve an uh point in the same way to me, like the the babes in arms blowing up. The, I oh I absolutely uh, I agree the with the sense like of they, stakes both, and everything both, and yeah, yes they're both but... simultaneously too big and don't actually really serve a purpose. Yes. like there's an there's an explanation, right? You know, because the other like the the five blocks, the five uh, floors of the city block in babes in arms right. is also basically explained as like they've gone too far. Mm-hmm. You know, like like there is a. There's a, a lip service paid to it, for want of a better way of putting it. Yes. But I think both of them are literally just lip service. Yes, yes. I I agree. I just wanted to clarify because I do think that, um, for example, one of the things that killed me about Judgment Day is, as you said, there's just enormous question marks about the villain that it that at least is a little bit different here. Like you said... Everything else, I just, I absolutely subscribe to. The gimmick is weird. It all ends quickly. He's supposed to be a character that we're, you know, seems goofy, but then we're supposed to be afraid of. Again, a lot yeah, of exactly. the... Uh, is, is he scary? That, right. And that's from Sabat as well. Yeah. Right? Right. Where it's like, you know, Ennis goes to, repeatedly in this volume, the comedy song trope. Yeah. So like, it's... Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that it works when Wagner Grant did it because it doesn't. And, and it doesn't in Judgment in Gotham again. Mm-hmm. But when they do it, it's purposefully done like it's done at the right time, for want of a better way of putting it. Right. They know what they're doing in terms of tone. Right. They're, they're, they're using it to undercut the tension or to add a comedic moment. Right. And I feel that Ennis just does it when he doesn't know what else to do. I, I, uh, well, yes, I think, I think 
to me, the problem is more Ennis uses it, as you put it, Wagner and Grant use it to undercut the tension. It, to the extent that it works, has everything to do with, is there any tension? You know what I mean? Like, and so, and I think that is part of the problem. One of the things I should, that I think is probably a fine thing, minor digression, is you and I, Graham, had talked a little bit about the tremendous difficulty of essentially doing the homework and sitting down and reading these case files. Uh, And in my sort of, uh, isn't there like, you know, reorganizing my sock collection? I ended up, uh, it, it, worth mentioning, Humble Bundle is currently offering a 2000 <laughs> AD yes. bundle of books. And for a very low price, you can get a lot of material, including the first five Dread Case files, um, stuff that Graham has talked of very warmly, like Brink. Uh, and something that Graham and I both very near and dear to our heart, the two volumes of Zombo, uh, trade volumes of Zombo are included in the Humble Bundle. So I had purchased the bundle because even though it didn't fully scratch some of my itches and some of the organization is strange, there's Judge Anderson Case Files Volume 2, but not Volume 1, for example, which I just find... Oh, that's weird. Isn't that mystifying? Uh that's such a shame considering Judgment in Gotham, but okay, we'll get to that in a bit. So so one of the things that I did was I was like, you know, I love Zombo. I had not I hadn't revisited it in a while. And I was like, let me let me revisit Zombo. And in part, in some cases, because there's a point where uh toward the end of Judgment Day, right with the Ennis song parody of uh, Sabat, for no apparent reason, decides to create a couple of super zombies um, that that do nothing. That do nothing exactly, and and therefore have to engage in some very tired song parody. Looking at them singing, I was like, "Oh, they're Zombo, kind of look like Zombo." Yeah, so I was. I thought that as well. Okay, I'm so glad. So I was like, "Shit." Zombo, ah, you know, I should revisit that. And let me tell you, again, very different uh, people, very different times. But if you want to see someone also working, now that I have read so much Wagner and Grant, very much working from the Wagner and Grant chaos and song parody playbook, uh, Al Ewing does amazing shit. Um working in that same mold and part of i i think what makes it great is of course a better sense of humor which helps when you're when you're leaning on jokes but also again if you look at the the part one and part two just literally the first two like the first trade is just two zombo stories and Mm -hmm. in each you have (coughs) crazy amounts of insanity but every character has a reason for being there, has something that they want or something that they're hiding that then comes out, you know, even if it's just a playoff in a, as a joke. And so consequently, the number of moving parts and it 
it ramps up exponentially between the two Zombo stories. When you get to Zombo's 11 or whatever, that is just absolute sheer chaos on every page. And yet it is simultaneously riffing on a bunch of different subjects, but also gives all of those characters something to do and to want and to fight or lose against, even in just a comical way. Like it is, again, really a fascinating comparison. Like between between that Judgment and Gotham, looking at what doesn't work in Judgment Day and throughout Case Files 17, like I said, it 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 feels like somebody who I mean, it's almost as if what Ennis liked in Dread as a fanboy was essentially kind of like kind of like oh don't get me wrong i loves me some fascism but i'm i'm a multifaceted person i also like the nihilism you know like there's no there's no i'm shocked that he could have read so much wagner grant stories that have so much stuff about other people other than dread and making them the engine for the strip and having Ennis here from all intents and purposes for the most part be like, yeah, but I like it when Dredd is like the badass and literally billions of people die because of it. You know, like every once in a while, there'll be a sop to, oh, yeah, the abused wives or, oh, yeah, that guy who wanted to give a flower to his girlfriend, even though he already gave a flower to his girlfriend. Here he is. Oh, he came back from death to give her another f- flower you know like you're just like you know he's his heart isn't in it his heart is purely again in this idea of everybody is dying violently and dread doesn't flinch you know yeah and Dredd doesn't care right and so and so it's kind of uh it's it's kind of educational uh in a way like um but it's also fascinating how much because i do think that one could make a very big case that you will every there's almost if you know any story where there isn't that character in the story sometimes that character is the center of the story sometimes they're the antagonist of the story sometimes they're somewhere in between, but they're always there. But Ennis, at some point, decided that other people mattered, kind of, or maybe at least understood that 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 other people mattered to other people. But um, in like Case Files seventeen is is so it's the kind of thing that would have gotten an enormous scathing essay in the comics journal 20 or 30 years ago from someone (laughs) like Gary Groth talking about how uh, essentially hacky art leads to hacky ethical sensibilities, you know, that essentially, you know, that whole idea that, that, you know, uh, Gary Groth's like um, updated Frederick Wertherism that, that like, a 
horrible shitty art makes horrible shitty people and people who just read it end up horrible and shitty like this is not a bad argument to be made that that there is utter bankruptcy uh in an artistic and human level going on at least at the level of garth ennis the writer like you know the some of the artists are either good or inept i want to push back at the idea of i don't know why i want to push back at the idea that the artists are inept because they are Mm -hmm. but there's uh, i find myself going weirdly they they're trying their hardest oh yeah no 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 and and i do think that there's a lot to be said that that it is very easy to take the case files out of the context of these are weekly magazines that these are appearing in. I'm sorry. The Meg is, is what it's monthly every, or is it moved piece. to right? It's so it's a, so by that point, the magazine is at fortnightly production and 2000 AD is weekly, which is ridiculous. And if you look at thrill power overload, the, the book, this period is um, essentially a lot of, uh, 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 this this weird contrast of 2000 AD is an established force and institution by this point, but it is in some ways in uh, worse shape than it has ever been, whether yes. that's because of the owners at the time, whether it's because of the British comics industry's continuing contraction throughout the period, to... Just the fact that they have, like, the editors who are working on 2000 AD at this point are, it sounds like, from the chapters that I've looked at, hugely in over their heads. And their attempts to discover and break new talent is, they're aware that it is crucial, especially for this weekly grind, but is also ridiculously hard to mm-hmm. to find anyone who's capable of doing it like this is the same time if if i'm understanding the narrative of thrill power overload that um american writer michael fleischer is writing for 2000 ad as is paul cooperberg so you've got sure. american writers writing for for 2000 ad and in some cases uh, such as fleischer's work not only is his work being widely loathed, but they're still stuck. They ended up stockpiling it. Yeah, yeah. He wrote so much that it ran for years afterwards, even though it was it was years. demonstrably shit. Right. But also, like, also at the same time, uh, like Mills and Grant and and uh, John Wagner right. and uh, Kevin O'Neill and Mike McMahon and and a bunch of you know quote unquote 2080 mainstays had gone to launch Toxic at the same time. That's right. So, you know, they've lost a lot of their their go-to creators, mm-hmm. you know? And Wagner and Grant are still doing some work for magazine. Well, and I think as is Mills, as is Mills, right? Even at, at this point, point... I don't think Mills is doing magazine. He might, he's still oh, doing sorry, you're two, right. He's doing yeah, 2000 AD. You're right, sorry. Yep. I'm not sure if he actually is at this point. I know he comes back very sharply because Toxic fails very quickly. Yes, it does. That's to- right. Toxic utterly, like Toxic doesn't make a year. Yeah, which is um, just a huge shame. 
Well, yeah, but also, like, if you read some of the material, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> real. There's some terrible stuff in there. Really? Um, but, but, you know, there there is the idea of, like, there's there. I remember reading at the time. There's an idea of, of a new generation of creators taking over, mm-hmm. and you know, at this when this is being published, I am it's 92, so I'm like 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. But I'm still aware of like a new generation of creators is taking over. But also aware this generation of creators isn't actually as good as the last guy. Greg Staples goes on to become a much stronger artist. Sam Colby goes on to become a much stronger artist. Dean Armson goes on to become a much stronger. Artist. Like you know, all of them do better work later. Mm-hmm. But the work in this volume. It's not up to the same standard, mm-hmm. just in terms of basic readability, coherency, mm-hmm. as a McMahon, as a Kennedy, as, as any of these people, as, as a Steve Dillon. Right, right. You know, as any of these people who have, who have come before and who, whose work is now disappearing for, you know, because also at the same time, like deadlines running, mm-hmm. you know, like there are other options for creators. Right. And they're, they're, there's, there's, there's going to America. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's other options these creators, and they're taking those other options. Right. right. With a, a paucity of talent. So they have to bring on people that honestly, and I said this last time as well, aren't necessarily ready for it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so sort of in that same way, it's fascinating how there are times where just as, just as you have seen uh, – Particularly uh, Marvel Comics went through a period where they were like, "Ah, just throw our new artists on Spider-Man because the idea is Spider-Man was their most popular character and sold no matter what a certain level. And so you had some really unprepared people coming in and and really falling on their ass in in public. And similarly, there is some stuff here in Dread where I'm like, these guys have not been doing much for a long, you know, like there, there are parts and pieces. I think there also is a little bit of an attempt, um, uh, you know, Wagner's reading some of the comments in, in, in some mild research, uh, for our previous episodes, getting the idea that, that Wagner wanted the magazine to, to look different and to have a different, sensibility and so you kind of get that see sign in and out between the magazine in judgment day with the crossovers of you know sometimes it's just a matter of like they're really trying to get like you know i'm i'm pretty lukewarm about uh ian what's his name who does Almighty Dread with Ennis. Oh, Ian Gibson. Right, Ian Gibson. But holy shit, like some of the stuff that he's doing with Dread is so comical. Like it's, he's yes. sort of like. It's, it's, it's weirdly, like it's off model. Yes. Dramatically. Yeah. Right? yeah, 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 yeah. Like he's literally like, oh, I, I'll, I'll draw this like it's, I don't know what, Hunt S. Emerson or something yeah, drawing yeah, Dread? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and which is, which is kind of shocking and funny and and i can see where wagner as uh, like jaundiced and trying to keep his interest up you know and his own hand in meg where they're like well let's let's go for something that's a little more extreme you know but 
but yeah, there's a lot of this stuff that kind of is like, yeah, this is, uh, this reminds me of a bad image comic that nobody liked, you know? And that's, <laughs> I, I, you know what, Jeff? It's only going to get worse. Oh God, Graham. No, no. Again, we're not, we're not the Mark Miller stuff yet. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know? uh, so, so, okay. Let's jump to right. what the, the old hands are doing at this point or uh, slightly before this point. Yeah. Uh, Batman judge dread judgment on Gotham. Yes. Which we, we've kind of touched on already here. We've talked about how it's, it's off. It is. It's a brave and bold comic. Right. Like it's, it's Batman guest starring people from the judge dread strip and also judge dread. Right. Um, and in that respect, it works. Right. Very much so. It's 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 not it's interesting. I remember reading this at the time when again I was reading 2018 on a weekly basis, but I'm not sure I'd describe myself necessarily as a dread fan. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading this and really digging it because of the art. Mm-hmm. And digging it because honestly, because of things that now as a reader I'm kind of pissed off at. Mm. That it is an incredibly irreverent take on dread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, if anyone's earned the right to do an irreverent take on dread Right. It's why I can remember, right? right? Like, 100%. Um, but it's it, it's really interesting to me that at a time when, as a reader revisiting these stories, I'm getting really annoyed at Wagner writing a two-dimensional dread. Mm-hmm. And a dread where, like, he shows up and he will shout and then shoot or punch something and that's the end of the story. Right. That Wagner and Grant are writing like an incredibly flat trade as well here. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, so as you know, um, 2000 AD makes mention of the fact that that Wagner and Grant had spent a long time trying to break a story that was more serious and a more serious contrast between Batman's sense of justice and Dread's sure. sense of justice. Sure. And I think they either decided, basically more or less decided that it wasn't going to work or wasn't interesting enough to work. And so threw it out. And so the weird thing is, if you think of Judgment in Gotham kind of has a Chopper-esque quality to it. You know what I mean? Like where Dread is 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 a semi antagonist or is a loaded neutral character in the sense of we're used to encountering dread where dread always wins but we have seen things in Wagner and Grant where he uh, th- it's a throwback to dread this is this is very much the kind of dread that we haven't really seen since Wagner's big Necropolis wrap up. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know? And I think that that is, in a way, that's part of what's jarring about it. Uh, what What's interesting to me is back when I first read this, and it was not that long ago, I, like you, was kind of like, wow, that art. But I was kind of annoyed with it, ironically enough, because it was one of my... Um, most of the takes on Judge Death that I had read at up to this point had been pretty serious. And he is clearly just 
just just camping it up here you know oh yeah yeah this is 100 percent death as like figure fun i should say we've not touched on it but when death appears here mm-hmm. wagner has just finished a year-long run in the magazine of the origins of death which is incredibly a comedy strip right right like very strongly young death boyhood of a super fiend is as the name suggests a comedy strip mm-hmm. so wagner has in between like after quietly like moving the character off into the shadows of the necropolis mm-hmm. between then and now he has been writing death the entire time and he's basically said like de- death's kind of silly mm-hmm. and that's very much the death appears here yes absolutely so at the time i was kind of like i was actually more annoyed and upset at how off model judge death was as opposed to dread in his <laughs> way when i first read that and now revisiting it i'm kind of like eh you know even without reading the magazine stuff it had kind of been coming for a while you know, I feel like by the time Death shows up in Necropolis, he's kind of, uh, it, it makes sense that it feels that the character's kind of boring. But again, part of, part, so this is a book, it's basically a big comedy piss-up. You mentioned that it's the Brave and the Bold, but it is also a book that does not take itself especially seriously. In fact... It's one of the one of the things that I think is interesting that works about Judgment in Gotham is how much Batman is right on the edge of he's he's kind of he's you know how in in a lot of camp pieces you kind of do have the kind of square jawed melodramatic block of wood like that's what he is in this and what's hilarious is so he ends up being almost closer to quote-unquote on-brand batman yeah um, yeah exactly he's, he's a very square batman right he's, he's essentially like a silver age batman here for all intents and purposes yes, right very Again, much so it, it that's another reason why i keep on thinking of this as brave the bold mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think Brave and the Bold is such a great comparison because Brave and the Bold was great for, in you know, insane over the top stories that were not necessarily in continuity. But again, to to return to my earlier point, the other thing that's great is all of these characters want something and are doing something and more or less are placed in opposition to one another. And so everything is turning. And one of the things that I think is nice, what what makes Judgment in Gotham stand out for me is is that having seen various um, in, in, intercompany crossovers, I can never get it right as to if it's intercompany or intracompany. It's inter intercompany crossovers. Having read more than a few of those, is you've. I've read the crossovers where it's like, oh, the two characters fight and they don't get along. Um, and I've kind of read it where it's like, oh, and it's their rogues gallery teams up with some of their rogues gallery. But what generally keeps this interesting is that Wagner and Grant tend to throw enough characters in that they always have the frame of action or reference 
changing. Like you, you, yeah, ha- yeah. you have a page where it's just where Mean Machine is essentially bonking the shit out of people because he's just the fact that Judge Death has double crossed him and he's trying to make him pay gives you a lot more nuance than or not nuance but just more things to have happen it, it, it gives you more entertainment yeah right right and so by the time that you get to the grand finale of the book it it is it's it's an absolutely it's like a it's like a superhero version of a french farce right like it's a bunch of characters all dashing around to try and get their needs met in utter conflict with one another and and literally upending each other's situations by stumbling through each other just the just the point where dread almost dies because death gets the upper hand because mean machine gets his thing his his head stuck at four and a half and goes on a butt frenzy which again butt frenzy continues to be you you love it you do, I do. love it i you do love it good friends. yeah i do i do and he even here seeing it come back here i'm like oh it's even better this time this is great you know like the all all of those things help keep the book being more than just a collection of really pretty highly um watchable art you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so it, it it is fascinating how much it is it feels like simultaneously a dashed off lark and yet looking at it it there's a lot more attention to to how to make the pieces work that feels like just a, a an eye opener after getting through case file 17 you know well but but that's it right it's it's it is that even when Wagner Grands are, for all intents and purposes, taking the piss, mm-hmm. they are just good enough at their job mm-hmm. that taking the piss is still more complete. I was going to say more professional, and that feels like an insult. But no, more, complete, more co- right. I I would actually say that that is the to me the idea that they actually tried to do a serious story didn't, and then you know more or less said like yeah, so we just did our typical you know, fuck off riff. Like they know that it works and there is something to be said for the idea of they, whatever else happened, they wanted this to work. Like this, this is because they know how to do a farce, you know, and, and actually it takes a lot of the stress off of the characters in a way um, you don't have to have a serious point being made about vigilante justice versus fascistic justice. You know, you just get two characters who are both, you know, have hard-headed pricks, you know, unsurprisingly deciding that there's nothing wrong with the other one that two or three punches or a kick in the nuts wouldn't solve. You yeah, know? exactly. Right. Right. So, I mean, it it is, it is kind of a... Um, I guess what I think is interesting to me is unlike Ennis, where you see a lot of, oh, this is the most big portentous moment in dread history ever because he had to nuke 5 billion people. Um, There's, and there's no work being done underneath. 
it to make it work at least this story which literally means nothing other than here are the characters that we said are going to meet and they're meeting you know still works even on its own terms even if it's not necessarily the story that they wanted to try and tell about those characters in the first place you know so yeah very much the other thing that you know you said it doesn't mean anything beyond these two characters meeting and we said they were going to meet mm-hmm. like that also kind of true of judgment day right you know which is dread and strontium talk mm-hmm. and and this is literally just playing into your point you can come to judgment and gotham cold mm-hmm. and come away with some idea of who dread is and what dread wants that's and right. who batman is and what batman wants mm-hmm. and you can't do that to judgment day that's right because the neither neither dread nor shrontium dog nor nor johnny are properly introduced in judgment day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like they are both if you read judgment day and that's your your only exposure to the character they're both tough guys mm-hmm. who like to fight and who use guns mm-hmm. the end right right like i now, i mean there's nothing there's nothing more to them and that's you know it, again Wagner Grant have been doing this for much longer. Like Ennis is still fucking twenty-two years old when these comics were coming out, right? Oof, yeah, no, exactly. He's young as shit, right? But it also, again, sort of underscores to me the maybe Ennis shouldn't have had this job at that point. Then Dread yeah. is arguably the most successful comic character in the British comics industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did he? Get, how did Ennis, who is at the very least not ready for this how did he become the main writer on the biggest book in the of of dread right right well i mean you know again i i don't know why because i feel like i've gotten better at these episodes without having to have just an american frame of reference jumping in all the time but i mean you uh, look look at what happened over at marvel like stan lee leaves uh, Spider-Man, you get a few issues written by Roy Thomas, and then it's immediately handed over to Jerry Conway, who's like 19, right? But so, but I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this. Jerry Conway could do it. No, I agree. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I think there is a little... There is... Maybe it is a... You know, the idea that you get an acolyte in there who just is able to, you know, cite the stuff chapter and verse and is clearly super sincere. And as you talk to the person about it, it's not just like, oh, one of the things I really like about Dread is the fact that, you know, I don't know, like I'd really like to have him start a forbidden love affair with Maria you know, or like the very first thing I want to do in my story is have Dread unmask so that he can, you know, because sure, he's yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah, because, because he can. Because exactly. Never seen that before. Yeah, exactly. All of the little fanboy moments. Instead, you've got someone who is probably sitting there and talking about, uh, you know, I came across that essay that Ennis wrote about his appreciation of that moment in judgment, uh, not in judgment day in, uh, uh, uh the yes. Right. Where, where dread pushes the button and, and bombs the other city. And it, he's, he's like, 
it's an amazing moment. And he does a great job describing it too, in a way that really does convey in just a few hundred words, just how, um, how, how unlike any other character dread became at that moment, you know? And, and, and so I'm sure he's able to communicate that stuff. But like I said, the weird part is, is that, just because just because you can develop a, a a master super taster approach to what the best cake in the world is that doesn't mean that you can turn around and make a great cake you know or even a a good one and you know one of the things that is strangely weird is the idea that if Ennis is doing other stories elsewhere, is it just he, like everyone else, just doesn't have enough time to 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 get the quality? You know, like that 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 is a skill that is something that you know an entire former British generation of writers really got the chance to do comparatively in a different and arguably better way. Or, or is it just that the weird combination of it's shitty working conditions, it's kind of your dream come true, you're absolutely too much of a fanboy, like, you, you know what rules to follow, but it also means that you're never going to break anything. Well, uh, so that's, that's something that Annis himself has said. Mm-hmm. That, like, he, he thinks his dread is bad because, basically, he has too much affection for dread. Right. That he that he just, he couldn't do anything but do mm-hmm. fan fiction. Right. You know, and I think, I honestly think there's, like, all manner of arguments to support him on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it says something about Ennis that Ennis can more or less acknowledge that and own it, you know. But it also there are also times where I wonder if Ennis is letting himself off a little too lightly at the same time, you know, because because I don't know. I mean, part of me is just like he can't have been feeling like he's doing great work here. You know what I mean? Like there's just not Judgment Day in particular is the oh it's so bad i well i mean i really hate it but i think the other thing that is fascinating to me is, is like i said how much you see the pieces that are there it's the stuff that he pays attention to and knows should be in there and there's the other stuff that he entirely misses and it's kind of like did you not read these stories more than once or twice like you know what i mean like there's a little bit of a of a point of i'm like if it wasn't for the fact that you can see how much the dreadian archetype like i said follows ennis into the rest of his career it would be and all the -the over-the-top absurdity and the kind of you know, hooray for fascism, you know, all of the other stuff that follows into his career, you know, it, it's easier for me to look at someone like, and I haven't even gotten there yet, but like 
if Morrison was to turn around and say, yeah, I was never really into Dread. It was really kind of a stepping stone in my career to get my name out there. And I was aware that the only way you could be a big enough British name in, in Brit comics was to write Dread. And so I did it. Like, I'd be like, okay, that's completely unsurprising to me. You know what I mean? Like, because there's very, very little, there's not even, there's almost nothing that I see of dread in the rest of, of Morrison's work anyway. But that being said, based on the stories here, just as they're being told, if it turned out that Ennis told everyone that he was the world's biggest dread fan and honestly just didn't give a shit. He just wanted to, to be the head writer of the biggest yeah, character. Yeah. Yeah. It would be easier to believe because he really does bring all the passion and commitment of Frank Thierry to these stories, and that's that's not as you know that's that's my opposite that, that, of yeah, a compliment. That's not a compliment. For yeah, you. but I, I, the worrying thing for me, I think, is just is that it's just the opposite. Mm -hmm. That that he is one hundred percent. He is bringing his passion, but his passion is utterly overwhelming his talent. Right. You know. Uh, I'm 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 already looking forward to the end of the Enneshron. I think we're like halfway through the Enneshron by this point. I could be wrong. <laughs> oh my god! So there's uh, another two volumes of this. Huh? I think there is at least another two volumes. Yeah. Wow. At least, mm -hmm. but don't forget, Ennis, or maybe I say don't forget. You might not know this. Ennis comes back at a later date mm. uh, and does like a, a one final dread story. Hmm. Uh, that comes after he has basically said like, yeah, I wasn't good at dread before. That right. I'm very I'm very interested in reading based on this yeah no kidding right like we are we're we're get like we're close to like miller and we're close to like morrison and i after you said that i can't wait for you to read morrison's dread mm -hmm. this episode was rough jeff yeah because like batman dread is is fun but it's light and it's mm -hmm. not really dread right right it's a fun throwaway story which honestly didn't feel like enough after case file 17 which is shit it's interesting i think you and i are different by contrast, it's a it's a life preserver. It's a life oh, no, preserver to for me. Real? Yeah. For, I mean, just in the sense of like, I was like, oh, thank God. At least this is a story that is interesting and that I'm amused by. And also a little bit of, like I said, I felt like I was able, you know, clearly because we had to hear me listen Babylon at length to get a sort of sense of what does make a story, what makes a Dread story work, what makes Wagner and Grant stories work. And I've felt grateful for that. But like if we had read, if I had read Judgment in Gotham during the heyday of the Wagner-Grant case files, I'd be, I would have been like, yeah, that was, uh, it would have felt a lot, I would have felt like, oh, that was a real take the money and run kind of thing, wasn't it? You know? Um, and and maybe because I'm so grateful for every all of its all of its various competencies uh, that 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 get translated to charms, you know, after being stuck for the entire party talking to Case Files Seventeen, you know, they, it seems like oh my god, I'm talking to Oscar Wilde and Noel Coward put together you know combined but i can see where it would not be enough for you like you said it's 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 a it's a hard episode it's a hard week what i think also makes it hard is and maybe this is just me but i'm fairly sure it's you as well 
we know what better dread is. Yes. You know, like we actually know how lacking this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like even even Batman Dread. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We know how how lacking this yeah, is. Yeah, that is very very minor dread. Um, you know, and it's 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 funny after doing the notes for this today before we recorded. Mm-hmm. I read. I caught up with Rob Williams' current Dread storyline. Oh wow! And it felt so good, Jeff. I bet. In many ways, it's Williams doing Judgment Day, mm-hmm. right? Because it's Williams basically doing a tribute to the to the the mega epics of of old. Oh, right! It's Dread and the Four Horsemen. Yeah, right. And it and it it. But the thing is, the difference is, it's good. It works. <laughs> no, but like it sounds ridiculous. But that's how important the difference is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a significant difference between. You know, you know what he's doing and it doesn't work, and you know what he's doing and it works. Yes, right. Like we're we're never going to get there, so I'm not really going to spoil anything for you. Mm-hmm. But like Williams is is throwing in like references to to a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, in terms of its construction, it's the cursed earth. Mm-hmm. But there's narrative references to the apocalypse war. Mm-hmm. There's a fucking narrative reference to shackle. Wow. Right. But and so on the one hand, it is as much fan service as mm-hmm. as Ennis is doing in, in in Judgment Day. But again, it works. It mm-hmm. works as a story. It works uh, on a dramatic level. Mm-hmm. None of the references exist purely as references. They all serve the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the world of difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. Like it. It sounds silly to say like. This episode's material was so disappointing that I actually read Good Dread. <laughs> that's actually what I did. <laughs> I well, need a palate cleanser, so I read Good Judge Dread. I totally get it. I totally get it. I went and read Zombo, which is which is not Dread, but is Good 2000 good AD. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's funny to like that's that that's where we went, you know. That's where we both went. Well, actually, that's I think like we were so disappointed. That's where we go. You know, I think what I also think is important, um, and is and is part of what gives me hope for the all the rest of the episodes in its in its own futile way is we didn't go backwards. We both went forwards. I mean, yes. from the point yeah. that we're reading it. And that's a huge relief. The idea that you can turn to Williams doing Dread currently and be like, ah, this is good. Like, they do find their way. They do find talented people who can make this stuff work. You know, similarly, although I admit I kind of had a thing of like, I should go back and kind of hit, just hit one of those like, Dread volume, you know, case files eight or case files nine or case files 11, you know. Um, and I was just like, nah, I, I mean, you know, again, it was like, that guy looks like Zombo. Hey, I should read Zombo, you know. But yeah. it, it really did have that thing of like, oh, right, okay, there is, you know, every, for what it's worth, I, you get the sense that, again, the majority of 2000 AD was kind of in the wilderness and in the, you know, 
For... Oh, it was. It yeah. was. As someone who was reading. Right. Like, it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, that is, to me, that is kind of the most generous thing that I think you can bring to it. And and, and it is a, the relief of having that vantage point of like, oh, yeah, no, they, they did. They did eventually come out of the wilderness. Exactly. Yeah. Like they, they've like, it's not just you. They actually did lose their, lose their way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, but they'll find it again. Right. Right. And so that that kind of makes things kind of makes it easier, even even at the same time. It's like, oh, Lord, Graham, I'm I'm sort of glad that we only do these once a month so that I can actually. <laughs> well, that's just it. I, I also like it's been two months, more or less, like it's been a month and a half since we did the last one. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine? <laughs> oh, can you imagine if we did this like a month afterwards, we would just be like, no. <laughs> Completely, completely. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad we stretched it out. So, uh, that's yes. it. A month from now, that's it's still going to be bad. Actually, it, it isn't. Isn't we have a big Wagner storyline in the next one? Oh, good. Enough. Oh, that's great. We have Mechanismo, which is actually like the start of a a, a thing that Wagner like did as re- like continued as recently as last year. Really? Yeah. Like we have we have we have stuff to happen. Oh, good. Good. I'm kind of relieved. Um, that it's that there's, you know, it, I mean, it's still it's still predominantly Ennis. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but, no. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's great because believe me, where this one was almost entirely Ennis, it just about did me in. And again, I know that Batman Dread wasn't didn't quite fit in chronologically, but I was so grateful for having it be part of this episode. So, as something else to visit. <laughs> Imagine if it had just been Case Files. <sighs> Dire. Dire. Well, so, yes, uh, I don't think that we're really going to bother with the... I mean, I think we've said Case File 17 is dross. I don't think... Did you want to pick a best story, worst story? Uh, I mean, honestly, Case File 17 best story is Texas City Sting. Yep. Uh, Again, the art kills it, but it is just like significantly better than the other stories. Yeah. Like, it's, it's it's that simple. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, worst story is, is, it's, it's gotta be the magic place. Uh, yeah, I I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm so tempted to give it up to, to judgment day being the worst story, but I don't, cause it's bad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cause it's so bad, but it's, it, it just, it does. It feels like such a waste. I think the other thing, and, and this is not something I really had planned to close, but I wonder I want to give you the option to talk about, which is the very final panel of Judgment Day. You had mentioned it on Twitter. Okay, so the very the very final panel of Judgment Day works for me purely because I do have that affection mm-hmm. for Strontium Dog. And I do have that affection for Dread. And it's the panel of the two of them walking away, like giving a, a, a shitty, you know, Ennis macho line. Mm-hmm. But but it's the panel of the two of them walking away drawn by Iskera, who co-created both of them. Yeah. You know, and it's a lovely drawing. Well, see, that's one of the things that I think is great about it is it is the very last page of a really horrible, drawn-out mess of a story. It features 
two characters, one of which I know, the other of which I still have no idea about, which is a shame because that character was in that goddamn story. And yeah. and there is such a feeling of wow. Like you see that page, like honestly, it's hilarious to have read 180 plus pages or whatever it is of just basic trash and get to that last page and be like, oof, what a kick. You know what I mean? Like, it's amazing how good Escara does that page. Yeah, like, how he manages to make that page work, right? Yeah. And again, nothing else in that story works. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he manages to make that work. And you're like, oh, shit, okay. Right, right. And I remember you saying on Twitter something like, it, it like, you kind of, it it makes you want to think that the rest of it was better than it was, which is to say it all good, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not. Like, no, 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 no. I mean, one of the things that I think is great about that last page is there's a little bit of something like hope in it, just in the sense of, at least for the reader, because you, f- you look at that, it is really hard to look at that image and not feel something again, which for me, considering I don't even really know who one of the characters is, it's but it's like, ooh, I wanna, you know, I wanna know more about that guy. I want more of this, you know. And yeah, it's right, like, yeah. like I want to see what these guys do next. Right. And again, you've just read twenty episodes of those guys basically not doing anything. Yeah, exactly. And yet, still, you're like, wait, okay, right, yeah. Like these these guys seem cool. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Would would that the last panel of Judgment Day was actually the first panel, and it was the story that followed after that? I don't know. Anyway, so yes, it's, yeah. But it is. It's Rafa. Jeff. What is your favorite story from uh, Case Files? Oh yeah, it, it absolutely has to be the Texas City uh, uh, three parter. What what's that called? Texas City Sting is hands down my favorite judgment day again, just because of the huge, I, well, you know, I, you know, I take it back. It's I'm going to put it in as the magic place. Cause the magic place is awful. And I got to tell you, Graham, I will be honest. I actually even kind of like the guy that had the blender as his weapon <laughs> when he like jammed that blender on the cabbie's head or whatever. I was like, Oh, this might work. And then, of course, I was like, oh, no. What was I thinking? No, no, no. You know. Um, that, that, yeah, that. It's just. And also the other thing is, uh, again, in my notes, I'm like, this story never needed a sequel. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's something like, that's particularly. never needed a sequel. <laughs> particularly super bad about it. So, yeah. So I think that's I think that's easy. Just wanted to do our due diligence. Otherwise, the volume is dross. Uh, don't even ask if it's a volume that you would give to someone who was not familiar with Judge Dredd as a way to get them interested. I would, I would not give that this book to someone that I wanted to try an interest in anything. You know, <laughs> honestly, except, seems fair. Seems yeah. legit. Yeah, it seems legit. The math checks out. So. Uh, so Graham, yeah, maybe you can tell us what, what's in store for us and we will, we will wrap this episode up. Uh, what's in store for us is case files 18, which includes, like I said, mechanismals. 
kind of Wagner's return to Dread in a weird way, right? Mm-hmm. Because Wagner has sort of, you know, he did three stories here, or one story in three parts here. He did, I think, a couple of stories in the last volume, but for the most part, he's been fairly hands-off of Dread. Mm-hmm. And he returns to Dread with, it's a collaboration with Colin McNeil. It's, it's him starting to find something else to say with Dread. Mm. Uh, I don't think he necessarily does it in this first part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is the start of something. And it's the start of something that, as I said, he was continuing as recently as last year. The name might suggest as well, it's 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 robots, which, of course, Dredd has a history with. And Wagner has a history with. Wagner returns the strip mm-hmm. with, with a robot story, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's there's stuff there that is more than just the Ennis of it all. But don't worry, we have the Ennis of it all as well. The Ennis of it all. Oh, Lord. Okay. So, yeah. So yeah, be be prepared, everyone. Also, ac- according to Case Files, the the um, content page of, of Case Files eighteen, it also includes Alan Grant and Mark Miller. So get ready, everyone. <laughs> get ready. And it will say nineteen. Yeah, Case Files nineteen, which is going to be I'm doing quick math in my head. October mm-hmm. uh, is the one that has the Morrison run in it. Mm. Mm. Uh, and uh, according to the the uh, cover of that is written by Wagner, Ennis, Morrison, Miller, and John Smith, mm. which is quite a collection of people. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. And I'll spoil it right now. At least the Morrison and Miller stuff is shit. <laughs> 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 so ah, anyone's like, that's an amazing lineup. Right. Yeah, it should be. It should be. <laughs> um, okay. With, with that. Yes. On that bombshell. Um, there's going to be show notes for this up on Monday at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, in the meantime, at some point, I will, I swear, return to the Tumblr at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com and the Instagram at instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. Uh, we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M G R A E M E M, and this entire whole drug thing exists because of our Patreon, which Jeff is about to tell you about. Yes, I am. Everybody, uh, I'm going to keep it actually somewhat pared down. Uh, we are so grateful for our listeners uh, for keeping us interested, motivated, excited, and uh, responsible about what we do, and. Uh, not only that, but I think the fine folk at Patreon who throw us a little bit of their uh, hard-earned dosh make it uh, make us even more responsible. The fact that we did Baxter Building, the uh, read-through of the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, I'm not really sure we would have finished that if that hadn't been some sort of a fiduciary obligation to y'all. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of have a little bit of a moment about that with Drock, where I'm like, yeah, we're going to see this through. We have to see this through. Thanks to you, we will see this through. And any waking up screaming uh, is is simply collateral damage. So, uh, so we do want to thank you. Um, we're really seriously grateful to all of you. Especially want to thank uh, Cosmic Defenders Dominic El Franco and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Um, we're especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast. 
and uh, our little neck of the celestial realm, even though there are weeks where it feels less like it than others. Uh, we know they're out there and we are grateful. Thank you. Graham? I think that we are done, ladies and gentlemen. I think that we have completed this. Everyone who stayed with us, thank you very much. Everyone who read this stuff to uh, Jeez, join yeah. us. Mm. Yeah, really, thank you very much because, you know, yeah. you, you feel your own pain, never mind feeling our pain. <laughs> We're going to be doing another drug in a month. We're doing away one next week. And other than that, because it's drug, Jeff sings is that. That's right. So uh, until next time, everyone, drug, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes. And we'll see you later. <laughs>